everybody. This is Heather Gold, and you are listening to Television episode. God, I'm gonna guess not 92. 92. Can you freaking believe it? So I'm here with uh, co-host Kevin Marks. Hi there. In person, and Deb Schultz. Hello. And uh, Television is a show in which we discuss the intersection of technology and culture and business, and mostly the kind of human side of things and how people are at the center of all of this. And why is it called Tumble Vision? It's called Tumble Vision because tumbling, which is this old uh, Yiddish verb, it's a tumble is something a performer would do. They'd be hired at a wedding to get everyone to dance at the wedding. So it's a way of having a, a mix of self-expression and catalyzing others to action, uh, which is something that's really important if you're going to live in any kind of network system and you're trying to organize people or have com- real conversation happen over time. So um, that is what the show is about. It's a salon-style show. Tonight, our guest is anthropologist Amber Case out of Portland. Hello, Amber. Hello. Greetings. Hi there. And we are going to dig into, as always, what's been up in the last week and is interesting. And then we'll talk more about... Uh, Amber's work. So we have, if you join us live, which you should, if you're listening to the show, uh, we're live Thursdays at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, and we've got a great live chat. There's a little pre-show and a post-show as a bonus, and you can join us at tumblevision.tv. And before we get started, I want to thank Hover, our sponsor Hover, for making this possible. Hover is an awesome place that hosts domains where, oh, let's say your domain's at a place that's a Supports the SOPA Act, which is going <laughs> to f up the internet. Oh, I forgot I can swear. Fuck up the internet. Uh, then you might want to transfer your domain, and a great place would be to hover. And if you use Tumul as as a as a code word, you get ten percent off, which is pretty great. Help support the show. Help keep us on the air, and people talking with each other about important stuff, and keeping that old web vibe going, which we think we have here on the show, which means, you know, quality and not just about SEO results. Mm-hmm. So, uh, this actually, the SOPA thing seems to continue. Like, I've been kind of amazed. So, that we talked about it a few weeks ago, the Stop Online Piracy Act that Congress has sort of been shoving through because the movie business has been trying to pass it. And there, there was a massive domain shift. And we've had a few people... I know Shelley and Dark Hartfeld and some other followers of ours or people who participate in the show have transferred their domains. We want to thank you for sending them over to Hover and, you know, being willing to not support a business that wants to not do what's good for the net. Um, there were, I think, a huge number of of, um, of domains. I don't know if you saw, Kevin, how many went. I think it was like 25,000 domains in a day. Yep. And they, they changed their Transferred away from yes. GoDaddy. The other thing was they actually changed their position and they're, they're now rapidly backing away from their support for SOFA, as indeed are others. And there's also a petition organized at change.org for all the um, the Screen Actors Guild and all the other Hollywood unions um, for their members to lobby the unions just to, to cancel their support for SOFA. So that's, yeah. that's going on too. So they're, they're, we're seeing a bunch of change there. Which it has been an amazing amount of activity as somebody who's part of like the first 10 people who went to go lobby on this thing when it looked like... You know, they'd already talked to every single person about SOPA um, on the Hill. And we talked to almost nobody, although we hit 23 people or something in a day. And now there's just been an amazing, amazing organization online. So, I mean, I mean, Amber, I don't know if you've followed SOPA, but how do you think that conversation has stayed linked? How do you th- what do you think are the nodes that are keeping that going between people? Hmm. That was interesting to watch. Uh, I always watch things emerge on Reddit. So, uh you know, I'll, I'll kind of log on and then there'll be like these little rumblings of, you know, a few different articles. Maybe one will hit the front page and maybe it'll only have like 39 votes and it'll go away. It's like a little bubbling. Right. And then and then there are more bubbles. It's like a pot boiling. And then it's just boiling over with like every single thing I think on the front page or maybe 75 percent was SOPA one day. And then it all converged on um, on GoDaddy. And then all the force and all the attention went there, and then it kind of bubbled away. And it was fun to watch. And the thing about the GoDaddy is it was a simple thing where you could take a simple action that would make a difference pretty quickly. 
Mm-hmm. I think that's part of the reason it all went there. It was like you could feel like you were doing something. But so Reddit, do you feel like things that happen on Reddit are predictive of things that will spread online in general or just around geek issues? And maybe you could quickly explain to people if they don't know what Reddit is, how it works. Uh, okay, Reddit is a place where stories are shared. So if you know other sites that that work like that, so say slash dot um, or what dig used to be. Um, it's just a quick way to submit a link and then people can upvote it and people can comment on it. And it makes basically a node for conversation around a site. Um, and uh, th- there's this front page thing and everybody can look at it. And usually you know, things on it have 1,200 upvotes. It's kind of a collective mind because if you have a nice picture of a cat and you post it, you usually get a lot of upvotes. Um, political issues generally don't make it unless they're a really big deal kind of uprising thing. And I don't know. I mean, I've been trying to figure out, it, it usually is around tech issues if there's going to be a big deal about something. Although there was a really great thread that occurred where there was this woman who had a big spill in the driveway. There was like all of this water in her driveway and she told the city about it. And they said, well, why don't you post it on the internet and then somebody will care. And so I think her nephew or son posted it on the internet and said, look, this is my mom or grandmother with this big water puddle in front of her driveway and the city won't remove it and it got you know 600 upvotes and a bunch of comments and they went and fixed it so that was a non-tech issue that they helped fix for kind of a justice i think you know sometimes it's very justice minded you know we need to make sure that things are open and just and that people don't get screwed over and if somebody who doesn't have any power power is unempowered then they can converge on it and make something happen And the conversation on Reddit, do you feel like there are people tumbling it? Like people, and I don't know if this concept of tumbling is making sense to you, but we're kind of positing that it's a conscious thing to keep the conversation going, or is it just happening around the subject matter on its own, do you think? Um, Well, that's interesting. I I think it takes, well, on Reddit, you can contribute in a few ways. I mean, either you can write an article and post it to Reddit, or you can upvote it, or you can comment on it, or you can keep reposting more and more articles on it. Um, but after a while, you know, the the fuel of it goes away. And you have to really maintain a lot of steam if you want to keep it going. Um, I think that there's this kind of turning point when maybe you see a small group of people say they're upset about SOPA, and then there's a bunch of other people like, I don't know if I want to spend the time in my day to contribute and build the fire under this argument. Um, And then there's a tipping point in which everyone's like, yeah, I I agree too. And then once there's so many people, then it gets really intense, and then they all, this time they all chose to make an action of getting rid of GoDaddy. Um, And then it kind of went away um so that's kind of how i saw it but there, isn't there an issue of it um because it not all the communities are that well tumbled there's the, the, there can be a lot of sort of nasty groupthink stuff there was an article um mm, by yeah. rebecca watson about reddit hate makes me hate atheists about um, <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah it's most, funny. These, these most appalling comments for, for, on a photograph in the atheist group what yeah. about the atheist group I'm not following this. So this this girl, this 15-year-old girl, posted a picture of her holding up a Carl Sagan's book. Right. And then got all kinds of, um, I'd hit that type and, and worse comments about it in the atheism group. Oh, so basically we're not here to talk about atheism. We're here to talk about... Well, it's it's funny oh. because in this post... They... worthy you are. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, they, they have this post in, in, okay, so this blog post that I just looked at, they say, photographing something you want to show everyone on Reddit, right? So guys post just the object, but if it's a girl, she posts her face with it, right? Like, you know, you always see a girl posting something, holding up the object and taking a picture of herself with the object, which kind of lends to that sort of behavior and if a bunch of people are anonymous and they can say anything especially people who might not traditionally have access to females uh, you know it just kind of opens up the floodgates and i think it's well, kind it's of interesting expected. amber you just said a bunch of people if a bunch of people you mean a bunch of men well a bunch yeah of I, I guess what? <laughs> Boys. Yeah. people rarely i rarely rarely hear a bunch of people used to mean women that <laughs> phrase is used to mean men and guys 
And usually mm-hmm. in a circumstance where it feels a little uncomfortable to say, I want to describe what these men are doing. It's not really great. So kind of back off of it and call them people as though they can hide around. Like we have, <laughs> we have nothing to do with it. <laughs> and also, uh, Amber just stepped right into without you know realizing it the um, Kevin's fatic argument. Oh, hey, without drink. the faces of the women holding up the object, they're anonymous. <laughs> He's drinking. Good. Good. I'm glad. I don't have any Everybody, of those. Emphatic about emphatic means Deb. It is uh, nonverbal communication that we do when we, which we do much more so in our real lives as opposed to the Internet, which is actually quite poor at phatic communication. And phatic communication is the kind of thing where you're talking to someone and looking at them and you're nodding. That's phatic communication. Well, you touch someone's shoulder, you better at it. We're, we're ignoring that and the design of it. Right. Well, that, well, that's you know the internet is bad at faces. It's something we said before, and we, we use smileys. And one of the one of the Reddit uh, memes is the idea of the rage comic, which is basically a narrative that you construct out of pre-existing face templates to show emotions. So there's this whole um, structure structured narrative thing on Reddit, which is you you tell the story through a series of. Um, faces next to the words, faces next to the words to communicate emotion. So they're, they're, they're sort of trying really hard to, to communicate emotion in, the, in Reddit, but they can't do it with their own faces, so they use templates. Well, it's more right. vulnerable to show your face, because right. if you do, like this 15-year-old who showed herself with a Carl Sagan book, they might kind of have at you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, to oh. me, it's the equivalent today of, like, when I first got online after some, you know, I think the first time I got on a commercial social network, you know, after Prodigy or something was AOL and I had a gender specific username. Ding! So if you're going to show your face or use a gender specific name. Mm. Yeah, I, I usually sign up as a, as a male from 19, who was born in 1973. That's um, good. Because I consider that my demographic. And also, say I sign up for Hulu and I signed up with who I was technically. Um, then I would get ads for chocolate and cleaning spray, right? Which I'm not interested. Right. I'm would. interested in the ads with explosions and funny stuff and maybe some, like, you know, people punching each other and then something funny. And so that means that I have to change my demographic presentation as to what I'm interested in. Are and you, it's not your physical you signed up on Facebook that way? No. Can't. I wish they had, like, an intermediate one where it's just, like, person or just neutral or... I'm yeah. interested in who, what I'm interested in. So part of the following and Kevin's thing with the faces is large faces are, are important. The first place I saw it to design that way was um, Moso's, um, oh, what the heck is that called? Michael Dela's startup that sort of would put a, pull a Twitter feed around a hashtag to show you the people so you could see who was talking about the thing. Had really large faces. Then Google Plus did it. Now Facebook has gone ahead like the Microsoft that it is has become top of that. It's like with these new timeline horrific UI design of can we cram even more crap on the one page than we already do is also going with really leading with really large faces for everybody, which I think is does that show up in the search results, Kevin? Um, they've started showing faces in search results if you have a Google Plus profile. Which is kind of you know, dubious in that so they're trying. Bunch of other places, so is Facebook trying to hack their system? That's that so no, search so Google system. Google is doing in search results. So Google will only show your face in search results if you've got a Google Plus profile linked to your website, and they won't actually show your photograph from that from the site itself, which is a bit devious. Whoa! Um, spirit of the web. Mm-hmm. That is devious. Say that again for those who may not have heard that the first time. So so Google is will show your face as the author of the blog post in search results but only if you have a Google Plus profile and you've linked your website to the Google Plus profile. It won't show your face from um, your profile on your own blog. It won't show your face from your profile on Twitter. It'll only show your face if you've connected a Google Plus profile to, to your website. So does, fa- does, how do, does Facebook get to free, like ride on this by having the, those faces there or not? No. In pr- Facebook, in principle, should be able to because they have... H cards and a bunch of markup that, that explains it, but Google are not showing that. But if Facebook was but if it you looks... link your Facebook profile to your Google profile, you can make it work. But since it looks like Facebook is trying to go after more googly business by adding timelines so that you can go back in time, I don't know if they just copy that from Dippity, <laughs> um, so that you could actually search your results, are they going to want to be able to then surface people's faces along with their search? 
since they have a yeah. little more of a conscious notion that they're connecting people, even though, yes, I don't know, I mean, we're interested in what you think, Amber. I've, n- none of us are terribly big believers that Facebook is really designed to link people terribly well. It just does it better than the other mm, I agree. I, you know, I like the timeline because, yeah, I, I always thought of Facebook as you have these albums, like for, for uh, people that are non-traditional, not traditionally like college students, you have these albums where you would store your photos in a space and then somebody would come over to your house and you would say, hey, want to look at the 300 pictures from my seven rolls of digital camera film or, or, or analog camera film from my trip to Greece? And you'd tell your grandmother like, okay, I'll, I'll do it. And then you sit there for 30 minutes and she explains all of the photos and you can't get out of it and it sucks and then facebook comes along and she just uploads them to the internet with descriptions and you like a few of them and then she feels connected to you so it's more it's more efficient that way it's kind of taking that closed album and putting it into an interface where everyone can access it and then they took it a step further with a timeline i mean if people start filling in their history like a picture when you were born and all of these life events you get a much richer story except the problem is that that timeline is kind of clunky and it doesn't load in all browsers and it's really heavy um whereas the the regular facebook wall is really lightweight so i don't know how many people are going to end up using it or if it will split i don't think we're in a facebook choice. audience i think they're <laughs> and we're all gonna have it no, there's a way to do it. I think if you install Internet Explorer 7, which it doesn't support, <laughs> it'll revert back to the old timeline. But then you have to go to Internet Explorer. Oh, exactly. God. You know, how much do you, do you want it? I, I mean, they did the... Uh, I have this tiny MacBook Air, and Google switched over all of their UX stuff, and it just leaves no room on the page for the actual content. Like, the, the save button is, like, 50 pixels high, and then yeah. there's a header, and then it's so big that I can't actually use it. But I, I don't have a choice to switch back. And I think that's the thing. I mean, Facebook has been built on top of this very lightweight, technically, interface that's easy to post to, easy to browse, easy to load. Uh, same with, like, Craigslist, for instance. And if they change it and don't allow people a choice, is that going to destabilize what people are doing? I mean, all of the changes in Facebook's history have been really simple and slight, and people have you know, been really angry, and then they've gotten used to it. I mean, when people are living on someplace like Facebook, it's like somebody living in a, in a digital house. And if somebody came into your house one day and removed all the doorknobs and put them on the left side instead and made the doors like a little bit shorter and made the countertops a little bit shorter, you would notice, and it would be really annoying. And, and I think people's... Their external self and their and their you know psychological systems are intertwined, and that's why it's so painful when this sort of uh, change happens and when people are forced into it. Hmm. Well, that I mean, the, the other the other thing is that the, the timeline assumes that your life exists in Facebook, um, which is. Um, <laughs> doesn't really work for those of us who are older than the people who work at Facebook. So it got the date of my marriage off by 20 years, for example, because it picked the date my wife joined Facebook rather than the date we actually got married. Oh, wow. um, and, and, you know, and similarly, it's just like you, you, you have to go and back and add your own life events to actually make this work, at which point mm-hmm. it's like, why would I do that? Um, yeah, but if also, you were because starting, I use you know, Facebook fairly lightly, um, all it shows me is a bunch of random pictures of me um, where someone's taken a photograph of me in public and posted it to Facebook rather than things I actually did that year, which means that sort of trivializes what I've been up to for the last few years as well, which mm. is kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. I think for, you know, I've always thought of Facebook as a templated self. I think Chris Messina gave this talk mm. in 2009, which was about at, at Open Source Bridge, at the, the first Open Source Bridge conference in Portland. And he gave this talk on how, you know, you have Maslow's hierarchy, and in the past you had, you know, you would go and get yourself a cave and, you know, kick the wild animals out, and then you'd have shelter. But you had to get your own shelter, and then you'd go out and you'd hunt and gather, and you'd, you know, hunt for animals, and then you'd have food, right? And then you would go out and you'd try to, like, you know, mate or, you know, be knowledgeable in your community of, you know, tribe and fight and get recognition and, you know, and you couldn't really get to self-actualization, but maybe if you're the tribal leader, you could. Um, and that, you know, increasingly, you know, now you rent a house, right? So you're depending on some third party for your housing system, for your shelter, for that bottom rung of Maslow's hierarchy. And now you go to the store and you basically have a subscription service to whatever store you go to. You know, you have to go there every two weeks and refill on food. Okay, and- sorry to interrupt here, but I'm getting a little bit lost. So just to fill people in. You're saying that Chris Messina gave a talk a little bit ago where he talked about Maslow's hierarchy 
hierarchy of needs, which you can Google mm-hmm. if you don't know it. And that relates to Facebook because now we have other needs met or what was he saying? Yeah. So identity is now a third party service where technically you would be creating your identity in the past or even on the early web. You know, you go onto the well and you would create your... I don't know that that's a new thing. I think your sense of self is always related to who you were around. You just may not have... It may not have been so fluid a life, so you were around the same people all the time. Well, now, you know, if you... So so somebody would say they'd go on Facebook and now it's a template for yourself. Here's the photo of yourself. Here's the status update. Here's the topics, you know. And you don't build the page yourself and you don't, you know, create the content that you could and the structure of how to present yourself that you would if you weren't on Facebook because people generally don't know how to create their own sites or host their own data or, um, you know, create their own system of identity. Um, so it's, he was kind of making this analogy about how each rung of Maslow's hierarchy is now kind of a third party service that you go to. And Mm -hmm. in the case of Facebook, it's, you know, just, or, or MySpace in the past that it had a lot more customization capability um, that, you know, people are just used to this template itself. Like, this is how I am online, and this is my real name, and these are my real thoughts, versus in the early web where you could, you know, fluid, uh, fluidically change your identity all over the place and experiment. I don't see as many people experimenting with their identity. It's, it's become the same as their offline self, like even down to the point of complaining about mundane things. Um, yeah, I'm still lost in the Maslow's hierarchy of needs relating to it but um but yeah i mean there is a sense that you're identified as yourself in the online and offline world but i don't know i i never saw those things ironically although you're saying people could play more in the earlier days of the web with changing their identity it still seemed to me that um there was people who've been on the web a long time feel or, or feel more of it feel less uh different that there, less that there's a gap between their online and offline lives. It's the same life. It's just you're with people here, you're with people there. Mm-hmm. Well, but that's, I mean, so, so it's, it's, it goes to iteration. So the original iteration was that the internet was a special place where you met different people and they weren't necessarily local. Um, and we've just been through a phase where we map out our everyday lives into the internet as well, which is both the Facebook side of things where we say reconstruct our friends and family into this map, but also... Um, through the storing all your contacts in your phone and all the other things you're basically carrying around in your pocket, a little device that has a map of everyone you know. Um, and then the, the next iteration is potentially going back to selectively choosing what to share with whom and whether we can make that work again. That, that's, that there's some, hmm. if that, that, that's what we, we were talking about path before we started the show. And path is an example of that. And um, path is a new, um, it's more of a mobile app than a website, really, that's designed to let you share photographs and notes and when you wake up and go to sleep and a bunch of stuff um, with a smaller group of people than you would choose to share it with across the whole of um, Facebook or Twitter. So rather than the model of share it with the entire world with the assumption that only 10 people will be interested, you're explicitly only sharing it with 10 to 15 or 150 people. Mm. Um, so it's, it's, it's saying... It's, it's sort of inverting the presumption of universality mm. again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was uh, there's this great quote about that. It's not that people want 15 minutes of fame in their life, but 15 minutes of fame every day from a small community. Mm. That it's like a micro celebrity. You know, you have your 15 followers, which are your small group of friends and family, and you're famous for 15 minutes per day of something some mundane thing that you do that's very important to a small amount of people. And that makes a lot of sense because people want to be um, acknowledged. I mean, some people will want, you know, um, you know, the question on that, and we could ask some sociologists, I guess, um, is, is it different for people who want from a smaller group than a larger group, or is there just the? I once had this conversation with Andreas Wagen, and he's like, "Twitter is and Twitter. Twitter is the perception that people are listening to you, so you just feel important because you think people are listening to you." <laughs> you know, do, is that true that people just want, I can, you know, validation? I'll say 
per your point or fame from the smaller group of people is that enough for most people is or or is there a different personality type that wants it from 10,000 people i mean i don't know right i think it depends it depends on what you're talking about right Mm -hmm. Right? that's you know the issue is do you do you talk about your entire life or do you talk about different pieces of it to different people? So, that, so that there is you guys, three of you, path, which Matt Honan right. wrote this glowing piece about on Gizmodo today, which made it sound as though it's a space um, that is a really beautiful interface that kind of combines elements of most of the other major social networks in a way that is a little bit more intimate so that you feel like you're really very strongly with 50 people instead of, you know, broadcasting to thousands right. and thousands that I only know from reading for because I haven't really been using it. You guys use it. You know, Debs, how much yes. do you feel like you're really with – are you – Are you? could you want to be with okay. thousands of people? Because I'm a bit mm-hmm. weird, right? I'm, I'm someone who's intentionally behaving as though I'm with a small number of people even when I'm with thousands and thousands. That's part of mm-hmm. the work that I do. Right, right. So I, I'm going to contradict myself a little bit here, but I want to read – from Matt's piece, one, two sentences, which sort of sums up why he thinks path is different. Yeah. This and is Matt Holden at Matt H- on, on Twitter. And we should have him on the show. Scrolling through path feels like diving into someone's life. A lot of that is because path has figured out how to get people to post personal things. It turns out the key to intimacy is just knowledge. Path pulls that off by allowing you to see who looks That's at That's not post. entirely true, but okay, continue. Well, that, that, that's my point, because Path pulls that off by allowing you to see who looks at your post. So I'll, I'm going to posit a few things about why I like Path and what he's saying here, and the geek universe versus the rest of the universe. One is, I think, just by the mere fact that Path has set itself up to say to potential users, and we've discussed here many times on Tumblevision that you set the tone very early in SockNets, right? We've, they've set it up ahead of time, so you think as a user to only have people in your Path that you want to share intimate things with. It's set up that way to begin with. It's not now set what, up to be. Now, what are the cues in it, Amber, that make it feel that it's that you should think that you want to be quite close to the people you're putting in here? Um, on path? Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny because I still feel like, okay, so say I share my location um, on Foursquare. Well, I have like, 300 people on Foursquare to share the location with, so I'm much more likely to get a response. Whereas on Path, I have less people, um, and I just followed them because I thought they were interesting, but the things they're sharing are more frequent and even more mundane than on Facebook. And then, you know, then I could also look at Instagram and get... So the interface, really, for me, is the nice thing. And I just... what What is the thing about it that makes you feel, before you put anything into it, what was it that made you feel like, hey, I'm gonna really be close with these people? I don't necessarily feel very close with them. I think I feel that I can more efficiently from one place tweet and update location and send it out to multiple interfaces in a really relaxing interface. And there's not enough, I haven't added enough people there and I don't generally care about their posts enough to really feel connected to them in any way. Like, I feel so you, more connected. So you, so you disagree with Deb that the system, the path system isn't set up to make you feel as though you could be closer to the people you talk to on this service than on another? It might be that you feel closer just because you don't have a thousand people on there that you don't really know. And if you get to start fresh, and then you might really care about the people that you add. Um, but yeah, my point wasn't necessarily that. My point is that Path sets up by telling you you can only have 150 connections at a time. Yeah. It sets what up does that a, mean at a time? You can only have 150 friends in your it, that you share things with at any given point in time. As, unlike funny. Facebook or Twitter, which are limitless, uh, or f- most people don't right. hit the limit on, and I forgot what Facebook was. Right. Which is, so the point sorry, is, it's guys, so- I just gotta let you know that here at Salesforce, there's a frat party going on in the conference room next to us. <laughs> well, it is Salesforce. If you miss something, there's like a kickstand happening or something. <laughs> it, it, I didn't so, know you were So my point this. is, I think Huh? Oh no, I cursed us. Aw. Did we lose Debs? 
Uh, so. Yeah, you're, you're just bugging out a little bit on my end. So I've been trying to ignore that I'm losing you because you all sound good on the recording. So my point is that they so there's a couple of things you get going on. 50 people that you're allowed to talk to. and That's it. Yes. They limit your social network, A-E, I-E, to the Dunbar number, right? And look it up, folks. Um, and and number one, number two, it is a beautiful inter- interface. I think a lot of the early adopters like the interface and that point. Three, it's starting at a time when there's a little bit of sort of... Um, let's, let Deb, Deb, let's try and stick to, to the, the point that you brought up initially, just so we can understand it, and then we can move to the next thing, which is why does it feel... Like it could be more intimate. Like I'm still trying to understand that because that's because a distinction. It's telling me. Oh boy, we were about to get the nugget of wisdom, <laughs> and then the internet could tell and said, "No, we're not letting that information come through." Okay, try try again, Debs. You you you're gapping out on this. Okay, I'm here. Can you hear me? All right, great. Yeah. Okay. I'm and I'm trying to say I don't think that it is that incredibly different except for some amorphous positing up front that we've created path for you to have a smaller social network they're just like saying this is our goal we want it to stay so they want it to never get bigger than a certain number (laughs) right because for me Path right now, where it's at, does not feel any different to me than Twitter felt to me prior to (laughs) by Southwest. So all I'm saying is that you, a la tunneling, they are setting a tone by telling people, this is the place for you to share things with your special group of 150. And we could argue if 150 is the right... It doesn't matter if they said 100, if they said 200. They're putting a gate on it. So I think that changes the attitude of the user and what they're willing to share and how. That's all. Interesting. No, that's interesting. Because, I mean, when, when they built Friendster, that was their mental model too. And they, they got very upset when people created um, users that were designed to have thousands of friends like Burning Man and the city of San Francisco and Jack Daniels. Um, <laughs> and and yes. so here, in, in a sense, they're going, then, you know, we've been through iterations of this where um, Facebook sort of nodded at that and then Twitter explicitly welcomed that. Um, and so they're saying, okay, now we've got enough pervasiveness of devices that we can go back to that model and it will actually succeed this time round, and we'll actually enforce it at the signing up level um, not try and police it post hoc. That mm-hmm. reminds me of the. Somebody was talking about how there are becoming kind of boutique social networks where they're very nicely designed for very small amounts of people at a time. And it's this nice curated experience versus one size fits all mega social network. Um, like, you know, going to a nice small unknown restaurant versus a mcdonald's or something like that so in that case you know and maybe myspace fit this more myspace would be mcdonald's and that you know comparatively facebook had a nicer user experience and was more regular so people switched over there and now path is just this small curated experience where you pay a lot mm-hmm. of attention to the people you add right and that was that was the point of the the joe smart article i linked which he was basically saying um we we're now at the point where um because we have these what was a private space, which you know, Facebook was designed as a sort of small group sharing space, but has now become so public that when you post something there, everyone sees it. Um, mm-hmm. We're now able to carve out new subspaces for these um, sub experiences so we can make them back into third places and small groups, um, which ties back to the sort of blog comments discussion we um, earlier. So the, the, the Tanahazy Coates thing where he was saying um, the point of his site is not to be the whole internet. Um, but to, to be more like a dinner party that he's invited people to, and right. therefore he will spend time throwing people out who are abusive because he wants the conversation to be constructive. He wants that to be a space that is that is separated off from the rest of the Internet um, as opposed to a sort of more free-for-all site like, I suppose, Reddit or um, anywhere where anyone can, can publicly comment. The, mm. the, the point being that um, we're at a scale now where we can construct these subspaces and have them have enough people talking there for it to be useful, um, but for them not to go with that threshold where it suddenly becomes enormous amounts of work to keep up with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. 
And I think that's you know that's the, the part of the, the point of tunneling is to to keep you in that in that sweet zone between the two. So the you know the, there's one side of the zone is there aren't enough people here. It feels empty and no one's talking about it. And the other side of it is there are so many people here I can't cope and it's full of idiots and just <laughs> right. get away from these fuckwits. Oh, yeah, um, it's, a, it's a Goldilocks social network. Right. The, yeah, the there's a piece in The Believer this week about uh, – I'm sorry to interrupt your sweet spot description, Kevin. No, no, this is I mean, this happens a lot with mainstream writers, although I guess Tani sees too, a piece in The Believer about Haterade by um, yes. Megan yes, yes. Dunham that I've got – I'm going to post my response to in um, – in my subverter newsletter, which y'all should all sign up for at heathergold.com. Yes, no, I, I quite like that article. Week. Anyway, this is, this is like your standard. Not only is it mean and nasty on the Internet when you post something because there are comments, but our whole culture is just a world of hate now. Things have gotten worse. This is like, there, there's, like, this is, has NPR commentary all over it. So essentially, Tanis is just a really great re- refutation to this, but it takes work. Like, like... His blog has that environment, one, because he's put a lot of way, two, because he writes a certain way, and he writes with a voice that presumes you have ideas also, not just him. Yes. And then he's kind of digging into that. He's quite often putting putting items out that are sort of launching conversations, which which would make this kind of a different place than, than Reddit, Amber, but I'm curious about your thoughts about who those key people are, and even in a place like Reddit, to make something stick as a conversation. If there are people who do that, because I know in this kind of case, Tanis is really throwing some people out, commenting, and when, when he'll post not just within the comments but on this blog itself, and say, you know, keep it around this idea, try not to go over there. That's a different thread. He's mm-hmm. kind of tending the sheep. He's kind of corralling mm-hmm. it a bit. So yes, there's lots of commenters, but then because he's created this environment, they will help make continue that culture. They help com- keep it more of a community. But that's only happens if you envision yourself as making conversation with people. Writing right. a writing an you know an op ed and putting a link at the bottom that says join the conversation does not make a conversation. <laughs> no, yeah, that's totally true. I, I used to run a big forum site a long time ago, and um, and I would have to go in and make sure things were on topic. And then after a while, people got really obsessed with a certain topic field, so I would promote them to moderators. And it's just kind of how Reddit works. It's there's this this structure and this overall ideology um, that you post in, um, and if it doesn't fit, it automatically gets expunged from the community. Technically, by it, it just gets ignored, or the moderators get rid of it. And if you, I was trying to look through, and I don't know how to programmatically figure this out. Would be interesting is to take all of the things that have been submitted to Reddit and see the titles. And the pieces of content that do the best. Because I noticed that the same titles keep getting upvoted the most. And the same structures and the same memes. And it becomes very um, very regular and almost predictable over time to see you know, what that hive mind likes. Right? It's kind of the ingredients in a stew that the community like. Um, and if you go along with them, you win. And if you don't, you don't. And either you want to win and you format yourself in a way that they like. Or you leave and go to another community or a subreddit that likes how you structure something. Hmm. Yes, I remember Mark Pilgrim writing a post about Reddit has this attention span of a goldfish because they kept reposting the same post of his every 40 days. (laughs) Do we lose Deb? I think Deb is coming and going. That's too bad. Um, So, so Amber, what, what are you spending most of your time on now? Well, um, most of my time is spent on building this company called Geoloki, um, which is a throwback to park research and all of the stuff that they were doing with location modules and automation and Mark Weiser's idea of invisible interfaces, that the best interface should be invisible and get out of your way and let you live your life and that technology should enable us instead of get in the way. Uh, So that's what I've been working on for the past probably a year now. And this is this is your startup? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I uh, I met my co-founder Aaron Parecki um, a few years ago. Somebody introduced me to him at this event called Beer and Blog in Portland, where a bunch of bloggers get together and drink beer and really don't blog because we're all busy drinking. And they said, "Here's this guy who has been tracking his location at five second intervals for the past two years." 
And I said, oh my gosh, this is fantastic. Um, because there aren't that many quantified self-type people out there who really want to make aren't? it. aren't? I feel like my world is surrounded by quantified self. <laughs> you're, you're in a filter bubble. You are very lucky. <laughs> but I'm it, lucky. Yeah, compared to the, the general population, they're... You know, there's this interesting thing of making, so it's kind of the opposite, making the invisible visible. So he took, you know, these millions of GPS points and plotted them onto a map. And you can see this entire visual history of where he went and what he did and his whole makeup of a place. You know, everyone has their own different data portrait and the data and is, exhausts that they get. This is what you've been building on top of. If you're interested in seeing this, everyone, it's G-E-O-L-O-Q-I.com. That's correct. So, so quantified self is the idea oh, that you a cute dinosaur as well. that <laughs> you basically want to know what you're doing at all times, and that you might find out something interesting about yourself when things are happening that you're not paying conscious attention to. Is that is that a fair way to put it? Yeah. So there's been a number of experience, uh, experiments about it. So I was part of the Harvard Track Your Happiness Project, which is a really interesting uh, thing that they did where you would walk around and at a few points in the day it would ask you, you know, how are you feeling? You know, scale of 1 to 10. And what are you doing at that time? Were you at work? Were you at home? Were you eating? Were you reading? Were you making love? Whatever. Um, and then you would rate your emotion. And then over time it would give you a bunch of statistics on where you were happiest and where you were most upset, things that you wouldn't notice, you know, because if you look at, you know, life on a long enough time period, you can see trends. Um, but you can't generally do that at the ground level, which is why I also like, you know, playing the Sims. I'll make a model of my house in the Sims, run it at 3x with people that, you know, look like me and my roommates, and then figure out that we're angry at each other because there's a couch in the way. Um, that you wouldn't be able to know, you know, if you, if you lived life at regular speed. So I think a lot of it is figuring more out about yourself that you wouldn't be able to know unless you saw it from an external viewpoint, kind of the godlike view. The, the thing about it is it's still relying on somebody being self-aware enough to accurately rate things. And That's correct. it's very likely that if you're relying on this kind of information to tell you about yourself, you may not be able to sense yourself very clearly anyway. <laughs> possibly and possibly not. I, I think the, the most difficult thing right now is that there's a kind of friction involved in recording this information on yourself. If you wanted to track your, your GPS position, you know, even five years ago, you'd have to have a physical GPS unit or you'd have to deal with battery life issues or, you know, and this issue still exists today. And so there's just this overhead of, do I really want to take down what I'm eating every day? Do I really want to take a picture of myself every morning and then play it over time? And because of that, the li there's not that many quantified self people because it requires a lot of patience and, and things like that. Um, so what we're kind of trying to do is use that information to kind of make people's lives better. Like we have, or, or to do some funny stuff, like we have a house set up where there's um, where there's a geofence around the house. And when someone gets into the geofence, it triggers the lights to go on. And then when you leave, the lights automatically turn off. So, you know, you don't have to remember to turn on and off the lights. The button's invisible, and it's based on your actions. And you never have to come home to a dark house and fumble for the light switch, you know, something like that. Yeah, like the, the nerd dream is this completely fluid life in which you consciously don't need to do anything because it, your your unconscious needs are just met the second you, you consider right. them, it's, the things float to you. It's like, I want to be a psychic. Thing, yeah. Everyone wants to turn into Samantha and bewitched, essentially. All these nerds <laughs> who are atheists are like, can I be a witch? Then I'd be happy. <laughs> um, it's Deb here. I'm back. And one of the frustrations hey. I get with calling something quantified self is that myself isn't, it just so, it, it sounds to me from the outside, like, so binary and as heather said you don't want to be present or feel or now i love the idea that as we you know create more data about ourselves out there the data will be reflected back to me you make me smarter about myself mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but the quantified self just sounds to the liberal arts literature geek in me just so numbers driven and like ah as, okay okay and I, and I mean that in purely the terminology of it not that what makes sense trying to do 
That's a really good point. I, I think that there's an issue behind it where, like, if you read early cybernetics right. or any of the early experience that people have done there, you know, you use it for space travel to make sure that you don't overheat in space, freak out how you can handle G-forces, how you can use your mind or a feedback loop or, you know, in, in the case of a company, the feedback loop with the company's internal and external components and making it a tighter feedback loop. I guess whoever's at Salesforce right now, that's what Salesforce is trying to do, you know, make the sales cycle shorter. That's a cybernetic property. And so instead, I think this quantified self is really a, just a, a cybernetic feedback loop. Once you get feedback about yourself in some measurable instance or some qualitative instance God. you can <laughs> learn something more about yourself our uh, our one of our before, former guests and and pals of the show dorian says i like personal informatics better than quantified self. <laughs> both are so accessible to most people and really appealing i think the sense of, of knowing yourself is is interesting. I mean, the most useful kind of notion of it I heard the other day, I met a friend who's um, a physician and does work and research at UCSF, and he was telling me about someone developing something that will track cervical dilation minute by minute so that they don't wow. have to manually, physically do it. Uh, because it's an issue in, in healthy childbirth to know how dilated somebody is and have to go in every time and look. Like, that you'll just have some kind of thing sending data constantly. And it just reminded me of this kind of quantified self or the kind of thing that I know Buster Benson works on and his sites and his, his stuff. I got to want to get him on the show because he makes amazing stuff. Um, Buster Benson. So this is an interesting idea in terms of um, what makes something feel more human or useful. This mm -hmm. idea of something that helps you know yourself, what those goals are. And there seems to be a lot of, we, we're going to have to wrap the show up shortly before we, you know, we'll have a little post show, but what is it? What is it that you want? I mean, everyone here, like you guys personally, what is your goal? Like, Amber, why are you excited about the idea of being able to let people know where you are or yourself know where you are at any given moment? Like what, what emotionally is exciting about that? I think the most important thing is if you've ever been stranded somewhere or not known when somebody's going to pick you up at the airport or had to wait for 20 minutes in this period of uncertainty to wait for something like the bus or not known about something around you, it's, it's this drain on your life. You're not being a human in that moment. You're being a machine. You're being put on pause. But yet if you had more information about that moment, say when somebody was going to arrive, seeing them show up in real time, knowing that they hadn't even left their house yet, even though they sent you a text message that said that they had, um, you know, knowing about, say, you know, with a geocoded Wikipedia article being pushed to you, knowing that that building was built in 1890 by an ice cream tycoon in Portland, you know, just these little elements added onto reality to either reduce the friction in everyday life or to increase your understanding of the world around you that was formerly invisible. It's, it's kind of these dreams that people had in research institutes in the 70s that haven't been able to happen. And we want to make a platform to bring all of that to life and kind of empower people to create things that mean something instead of just like location-based advertising. Right. And my fear, even though I love it, because given about myself, we're all ego-driven, right? Good stuff. But the fear to me is that the more data and more numbers, the, the balance that needs to be created is that as we create more data sets about ourselves, we use those data sets to bring ourselves closer to each other, not create distance from each other. So, you know, it's, I always go back to these. It depends, it depends who each other are then. Right. It, it, and of course, people, people are people. You're going to use the tool the way you are. But that's sort of my my every time someone says quantified self, I want to I sort of cringe, even though I love. <laughs> some of the things that are being done behind it. So that's one of the things I wanted to make sure you heard from me, Amber, is like, can we come up with right. something, you know, and life is filled with friction. You know, not everything's going to be frictionless. I'm taking a little bit of a devil's advocate position here, but that's my fear, mm -hmm. that we all think that, um, you know, just, you know, more stuff, more smoothly done is going to make for, you know, better. And maybe, maybe it won't. I don't say we shouldn't try, you know. So bringing us back as always to the why, what's the point of this in the first place, which is a great question, developers, business people working on new projects that you're excited about the, you know, widgetiness of why, why is a great question. 
We're going to have to bring, bring things to a close for tonight. We're going to stick around. We always have a post-show chat that's live. If you want to join us, we're at TumbleVision.tv. Uh, if you're going to check this show out on iTunes or subscribe, which we hope you will, please do review us because uh, that's one way the show gets out to other people and let people know about it. We want to thank our fantastic sponsor, Hover, which does not have a CEO who shoots elephants or run really sexist ads or support the f- fucking... S- Stop Online Privacy Act. So even though I've used, uh, I've cursed now twice in proximity to their name, they're lovely and uh, they should not be seen as being, I'm happy to take all of the the flack for the cursing. But Hover, uh, thanks to Hover, and if you uh, need to register a domain or shift one somewhere that you like better, they can do it for you on the phone, and it's if you use Tumble as a code or do it through our site, you'll get you'll kick back a little something to the show to support it and save yourself some money. So that's Hover and our wonderful guests. We want to thank uh, anthropologist and geolocai uh, co-founder, I guess, Amber Case up in Portland. Thanks for joining Woo! us, Amber. Thank you. Thank you. And yourself that I guess soon, I've only just met you now, but soon I can know every place you go to at every moment. <laughs> <laughs> only if I share it with my small group of, uh, of uh, boutique friends. <laughs> boutique friends, yes. You two can turn the people you know into, into, into small a Louis friends. Vuitton bag. <laughs> Everyone's dream. Hitler's dream. They'll turn themselves into their own lampshades. Oh, no. Uh, Sorry. That's what came to me. I'm going with it. Uh, (laughs) And, of course, because I'm always trying to – that's the sponsors want. A host is like, swear and then compare people to some Holocaust jokes. Let's let's go to high note. I want to thank the frat boys of Salesforce.com to me tonight that even though you work for an internet company, it can still feel – like we're selling insurance in Illinois. No problem. <laughs> but I want to congratulate Mark Benioff on that. He's bridged he's bridged the culture here. And he has awesome snacks. This office is great. It's got an amazing view. I give him like an 8 out of 10, like a, like a restaurant kind of review. <laughs> That's my restaurant review of Salesforce. Oh, no. Debs? Amber? That was Debs for Amber, greetings, earthlings. Greetings, Earthlings. (laughs) So is there anything you want to let people know about besides Geoloci, Amber, before we head out to the post show? Um, I'll I'll be speaking at South By this year. They they gave me a keynote position, and I need good ideas of things to talk about. So if you'd like to tell me what I should talk about so that you don't hate the keynote, let me know. Um, well, I'd like, I'd love to hear you tell everybody how a lot of people need to leave the conference because it's really started sucking shit. <laughs> That's what Bruce Sterling does every year. <laughs> Actually, he's not speaking this year. I guess I'll, uh, I guess I'll tell everyone that. Or to make a small conference off to the side as, as, as south, a south of South by. Just let everybody know that if they think their follower number means something, um, they should go to their own conference. Ha, 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 